to worship here at Park Memorial on the first Sunday of May of 2020. It's hard to believe we're already in May, and especially in the fact that we've had so many adjustments in our schedule and how we're able to carry on worship. But we're thankful that you are a part of our worship experience this morning, and we pray that your hearts are refreshed, that we pray that you'll get a, a word of encouragement today. Pray that the Lord will speak to your heart through the word and through song. And invite the Lord right there where you are in your home or wherever you might be today to be a source of encouragement for you, to walk closer to Him and have a sense of revival and renewal. Remember, we are in a year of revival. That's our focus in 2020 here at Parker. And we're asking every day for the Lord to renew us, revive us, and to draw us closer to Him. And I'm praying that this worship service today will be a part of that. So you join in and be ready to study God's Word and to praise His name. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. A couple of weeks ago, we started talking about obstacles to revival. Remember, we're focusing on revival here in 2020 at Parker Memorial. And so we've been talking all about revival. And a couple of weeks ago, we started talking about obstacles to revival. And one of those obstacles was the sin of greed. We first of all looked at the story of Gehazi, the uh, servant of Elisha. When Naaman was healed, and when Naaman was healed, he offered a reward to Elisha. Elisha refused that, and Naaman made his way back to Syria. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, became greedy in his heart. He pursued Naaman. He lied and told him that the man of God had reconsidered and wanted some of those treasures. He took those treasures and hid them in his house. And because of that greed, it cost him greatly, and he faced judgment. The judgment was that he had leprosy in his life and his descendants suffered with leprosy on throughout the years. That was the judgment of God for the sin of greed. That greed cost him greatly. Last week, then we saw the fact that there is greed of the nation. It was from Malachi chapter 3, where it focused on the fact that Israel as a nation had become greedy in its relationship with God. For God had instructed them that as He would bless them and provide for them in every way, that what He required of them was for them to give a tithe or a tenth of all that they gained so that they would remember that the Lord is the giver of every good and perfect gift and that He owns it all and that they are partnering with God. But they did not give those tithes or those offerings and contributions. And therefore Malachi says that you have robbed God. The reason you've robbed God is because you've not done what God has commanded you in relationship to those ties. And he tells them, because you've been disobedient, you likewise have been judged. He says, you've been cursed with a curse. We talked about that curse, that it never measures up. What you're hoping for never measures up. It never comes to fruition. He says, not only are you cursed with a curse, but the devouring one has had the opportunity and the freedom to work in your life and to steal away those things that God would want you to have. And your grapes have cast forth the fruit before they are mature. All those judgments have happened because you have been greedy in your relationship to God. But he goes on and promises them if they will make it right and begin to do what God had commanded them to do and stop being greedy and partner with him through giving that tithe that the Lord would open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great they couldn't contain it. But not only that, that he would rebuke the devouring one, and no more could that devouring one, the old enemy, steal from them, and their grapes would bring forth fruit to the point that all the nations would realize that they are a blessed people who have a relationship with a blessed God. 
Now, in thinking about that, both of those stories talking about greed, the sin of greed, Gehazi personally and Israel nationally. But my question I ask in each of those previous sermons is, is greed only happening in the Old Testament in the life of Gehazi or happening in Israel as the nation? And the answer to that is no. Greed is something that we deal with in our lives each and every day. All of us can be tempted in that area of greed. And so we need to hear what the Word of God teaches us about how we ought to live here in this New Testament era, in this place past the cross. What does the New Testament tell us about how to live, not being greedy, but being in a place that God wants us to be, not allowing that sin of greed to be an obstacle to revival, but walking in a way that we might receive the blessings of God. That's why I would have you turn there in that passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Apostle Paul, as he is talking to that young uh, disciple of his, that young pastor, he is able to tell them, he able to tell that young pastor, these are some things that you need to teach your people. These are some things that they need to know about how they ought to live and how they ought to live in relationship to the possessions that they have, that the things that God has given to them. And so in relationship to that, he gives great detail and he answers some very important questions about how to live life and to not allow greed to overtake you, to overcome you, but to live in a way that is pleasing and blessing to the Lord. And, and I want you to see what the passage says. We're going to begin reading in verse number 6 when it sets the tone by saying this, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. He says to walk godly and, and to live like Christ wants you to live it is a matter of great gain so long as you have contentment in your life. And then he begins to share some very important things. The first truth that he shares is what I would call the cycle of life. Listen to what is in the cycle of life in verse number 8. It says, and if we have, in verse number 7, I'm sorry, it says, for we have brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either. Do you hear what he says is the cycle of life? The cycle of life is that when we were born, we were born naked. We brought nothing into this world except life itself. And the reality of that is that whenever we come to the end of our life and we leave from this life, we're not going to take anything out of this life either. So we came into the world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing. That is the cycle of life. But the, what matters is, what do we do with that which we possess during that time from birth to death? Whenever God gives to us possessions or gives to us an opportunity to be steward over certain resources or certain possessions, what are we to do and how should we live in relationship to those things? Because what really matters is the fact that we came with nothing and we're going to end with nothing. What matters is, what are we going to do with those possessions we have now? And how are we going to honor God through it? Well, from the cycle of life, he moves on to what is the measure of success? That's found in verse 8. How do we measure success in life? Well, it says right here, And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. That's the measure of success. Now, I know in our day and time, we feel so different about that. But he says the measure of success is this. 
If you have food and nourishment so that you can live, and if you have covering over your body and a covering over your head or a place where you might live, if you have those things, you are successful. It was not too many years ago that in our very nation, that would be the measure of success. Your grandparents or your great-grandparents, whenever they lived in life, the success was that in the spring of the year, they would plant the crops. In the fall of the year, they would harvest enough. And hopefully they would harvest enough to where they would have enough food to live through the winter and to be able to carry them over till they came to another planting and harvesting time. And if they'd have a roof over their head or they'd have clothing and shoes on their feet and something to eat, that was the measure of success. In our day and time, we move from that and we say, well, we have to have money in the bank and we have to have more possessions and a bigger car and we have to have a retirement program. We have to have all these things that you have to have in order to be successful. That's not the scriptural basis of success. The scriptural basis of success is do you have something to eat, something to clothe yourself, some way to cover your head. That is being successful. And if we could return to our mind, our minds to that measure of success, then it would help us to find contentment far easier in life. Now you say, well, is that really the measure of success? Is, is that really what we're supposed to live for? Well, let's use the standard of Jesus. What was the standard of Jesus whenever he walked here? Do you know what it says? Jesus told the disciples, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So the Lord Jesus himself did not have a home. He didn't have a home base. He depended upon other people to help provide him a place. And he lived a very simple life. You find out also that he didn't possess anything. Whenever he was hung on the cross, he just had the inner, the inner garment and the outer garment that they cast lots for. And that's all the possessions that he had here in this world. Not only that, you find at the cross that whenever he is dying, that he looks to John and says, John, I want to depend on you to take care of my mother. He being the oldest son would have the responsibility of taking care of his mom. And he doesn't have any resources. So he says to John, John, you're going to be the one I depend on to take care of my mom. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He only had those garments that he wore. He didn't have the resources to take care in retirement of his mother. He depended upon a friend. So the standard of Jesus is even more simple than what Paul writes to Timothy. It's simpler in the fact that he says, you in your life, if you have food, you have covering, you have something to cover your head, a place to lay down, then you are blessed in life. That is the measure of success. We need to get that in our heart and get that in our mind. Now, I know that there's all kinds of things that press in on us and push on us, but we need to get back to the biblical essence of what is the measure of success. Did you have something to eat today? You are blessed of God. You have something to wear today? You are blessed of God. You have a place to lay your head? You are blessed of God. That is the measure of success. Now, what do we do with those things that God blesses us with that we would wear, that we would have the other possessions? What do we do with them? Well, he moves from there to give to us a warning. It's found in verses 9 and 10. Listen to what he says as that warning. He says to Timothy and to us, But those who want to get rich 
fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. Did you hear what he says? He says right there in that passage in verse number nine, he says that you need to be warned that you can fall into the temptation to get rich. There is a temptation to be rich. And to be rich means to accumulate more than we need, more than we have to have, and to be able to continue to accumulate more and more and more resources. And and sometimes in life, we can get caught up in that trap. We always want something new, something more, something better. And we have to build bigger closets to put what we have in. And sometimes we have to go rent buildings to put those in. And we have more and more things. He says, be careful because there is a great temptation about riches. And if you let riches and accumulation of riches dictate your life, it can be a snare. Now, the idea of that snare is like the catching of a rabbit in a snare. The rabbit didn't intend to get in that snare. He didn't intend to be caught. A snare is something that grabs hold of us when we're not really ready. It grabs hold of us when we don't really want that to be the direction we go. And most of us would say in our life, man, I, I, don't, I don't want to be overcome by riches. I don't want riches to be the, the God or the goal of my life. I, I don't want my life to be so controlled by riches that I would fall into this trap and to be entrapped in this snare. I don't want that to happen. And and that's exactly what Paul says. He warns them that if you are going to pursue riches and what you're wanting for riches is that you can fall into that trap. And he says, when you fall into that trap, you're going to find out that riches do not satisfy your heart. Riches cannot give a contentment in your spirit. For see, the more you have, the more you want. And the more you get, the more you try to accumulate. And you can find that you fall into that snare. And here's what happens when that snare says, And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. If you pursue riches instead of pursuing God, if your goal is the accumulating of resources rather than the pleasing of the Lord God, then you can find yourself falling into all kinds of harmful things that will bring pain in you, your life, your family. And he warns you, please do not be one who falls into the temptation of riches. And then he makes that statement that many people are familiar with. He makes the statement when he says, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It does not say, to clarify that, it does not say that money is evil. But it says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Be careful who you love and what you love. Remember that God has commanded us that we're to love the Lord God above everything. And the most important person or thing we love is God himself. 
then God has told us that we're to love our families and to minister to our families and take care of our families. Then, then the Lord has told us that we're to love our brothers and sisters who are in, in the faith. We're, we're to love the people of God. Then Jesus commands us that we're to love the unlovable and to love the lost and that we're to be loving all kinds of people. But never does he tell you to love something those things of life, those possessions of life. He never tells you to love that because you've got to be careful with what you fall in love with. And, and if you fall in love with money, if you are pursuing money, then it can be a great hindrance to your faith. Let, listen to what he says here in verse number 10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Listen now. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. Not from faith, from the faith. From their walk with God. Now can you imagine that somebody who is a believer, who knows Christ, who believes that Jesus died on the cross, and that Jesus gave his life for them. Could you imagine that anybody would ever love anyone or anything more than they'd love Jesus? But the reality of it is that the old enemy comes along and, and he tempts you with riches and possessions and, and he tempts you to love money. And if you're not careful, you can fall in love with money so much that you wander away from the faith. You wander away from your journey with Jesus and your joy in the Lord and your service to him and, and what he says we ought to do and how we ought to walk. Be very careful about falling in love with money. For see, some can wander from the faith. But he not only says that, listen to what he says. And pierce themselves with many a pain. Well, here's the reality of it. If you want the fullness of life and the joy of the Lord and the satisfaction and the contentment that Paul speaks of, you're going to have to find that in the Lord. You're going to find that in the Spirit of God filling you, flowing through you, and being all that He needs to be and wants to be for you. And you can know what it is to have the joy of the Lord. But if you are looking for that joy, contentment, and satisfaction, you're going to experience a voidness in your heart, a voidness in your life. And He says, many a pain. Be careful that you do not fall in love with money. Be careful that you do not fall in love with money. Be warned about what he says. Now, he goes on from there. And he says, you don't need to fall in temptation of riches. You don't need to fall in that trap. You don't need to fall in love with money. Experience many a pain. He said, you don't need to do that. And then he gives us instructions of how we can keep from doing that. And, and those instructions involve two processes. The first one is called fleeing. And the second one is called pursuing. It's found there in verse 11. Listen to what it says. But flee from these things, you man of God. Flee from what things? These things he just talked about. That snare of, of riches. To flee from that love of money. To have your heart. To flee from these things. You know, fleeing is... Seems as though that would be a cowardly way, but isn't it interesting that over and over again in the Word of God, it will tell us to flee from the devil, to flee from temptation, to flee from these things. Because the best thing for us to do is to get away from that which would cause us to be tempted. 
And whenever we find ourselves that we're falling in love with money and that riches are so important to us and possessions are more important than people, we find that we need to flee from that. We need to go in the opposite direction of that. Get away from that type of temptation. Get away from that accumulation of wealth. Get away from more and more things. Flee from it. But it's not enough just to flee from It also says you need to pursue something. Listen there in verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God. Listen, and pursue. Pursuit means to follow after. It it means to, to long to be with, to aggressively go after. And he says, you don't just need to flee the, the evil things and the love of money. You need to pursue other things. And what does he say pursue? He says right here, pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue perseverance. Pursue gentleness. All of those things is what we really want in life. All those things are what really makes life full of joy and satisfaction. And he says, pursue after those things. And the way he says that, it gives you the idea that he knows, Paul is telling Timothy, that you will never and no one will ever find them if you're flee, if you're constantly pursuing after wealth and riches, you're not going to find it. Flee from that and pursue the godly things. And as you pursue that, you're going to find the joy of the Lord and the strength of Christ and all that life is supposed to be. So learn how to flee and learn how to pursue. That that means that it requires of us to be very self-conscious of who we are. We need to be self-conscious if if our temptation is is to fall in love with possessions. We need to be very conscious of ourselves if if we have a spirit of discontentment and we're constantly having to accumulate more and more, to get more and more so that we feel satisfied in life. If we find ourselves in that position, flee from that. Run from that as fast as you can and pursue the things of God. Well, he gives us great instruction about that. After warning us about the falling in love with money or the pursuit of riches and all the pain, he says there's a way to get away from it. Flee and pursue. Flee and pursue. Now that brings us to something that's a very important question. And it's this. Does that mean if you're a child of God, if you're a believer and a Christian, you're supposed to live in poverty? That, that all you should have is, is just the clothes on your back like Jesus did? Or are all you're supposed to have is just maybe a, a place to lay your head and, uh, and just the food for today? Is that the life of a Christian? Is every Christian supposed to live this poverty-stricken life? The answer to that is no. It's no from a basis of a number of things. One is just the study of God's Word. When you, when you read God's Word and you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find out that many, many of God's choicest servants were not just wise men and good men and godly men. Many of them were very wealthy men. When you take an Abraham, Abraham was a very wealthy man. His son Isaac was a very wealthy man. Jacob, who becomes Israel, became a a very wealthy man. Certainly David was wealthy, being the king, and King Solomon and all of his riches. 
men of wealth served God throughout the Old Testament, but they also served God in the New Testament. He, he didn't just call the fishermen, and those fishermen weren't necessarily poor because those fishermen also had many boats and they had people who worked for them. And then he calls the tax collector, Matthew, who certainly was not poor, and then he would go and he would call people like the Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus. There were certainly people who had wealth who followed after the Lord both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So it doesn't mean that when you become a believer that you're poverty stricken based on just a survey of the Bible. But it's also the fact of what Paul says in his next instruction in this same passage to Timothy. Listen to what he gives instruction and how it clarifies that, that believers do not have to be poverty-stricken, but they have to be very careful with what they do with their riches. It's found here in verse 17. That's what it says. Paul speaking to Timothy. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Listen to the very first word that is spoken. Instruct those, talking about believers, Instruct those who are rich in this present world. So he says, I'm not just warning you about riches and the temptation of riches, and I'm not just warning you that the love of money is, is a, a source of great danger because it can lead you to do evil. But he says, I'm also helping you to understand that there are believers in your fellowship who are rich in the things of this present world, and there's an instruction to be given to them. Paul understanding that some believers were wealthy in their possessions. See, it, it, it's okay to possess things. It's, it's all right to have the riches of the world. What really matters is this. It, it's not what you possess. It's what possesses you. You can possess the riches of the world so long as the riches of the world do not possess you. You can, you can enjoy the riches of the world so long as that's not the goal or the God of your life. So right here, Paul gives direct instruction to those people who are believers, but who are wealthy in this present age. Listen to what his instructions are. Very clear instructions. He says this in verse 17. To not be conceited. That's the first thing he said. If you're a child of God and you've been blessed with the riches of this world, do not be conceited. In other words, to walk around with your nose up in the air or to act as though you've really accomplished something and that you're above somebody else and that your stature is more important than somebody else. All of those ideas are that conceit. And that conceit is based on the fact that when you have riches, you think it's what you've done. It's not what you've done. It's what God has allowed you to do. And how God is allowed to bless you and what God has allowed you to be steward over. So he says, whenever you have the riches of the world, first of all, do not be conceited. The second thing is do not fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't base your peace and your joy and, 
and the fact that you're fine and that everything's okay in life and things will be good because you've got riches and you've got money in the bank. Never put your trust in riches because riches can disappear in just a moment. I guess everybody recently who has a retirement account or IRA or something or a mutual fund, I guess we've all seen that recently whenever the stock market crashed there for a while and and your money disappeared. Money can disappear like that. Wealth can go. Things can be consumed by fire. Do not rest in what you have, but rather put your faith, this is what it says, put your faith on God. Do not fix your hope on the uncertain riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. If you're one, he says, who is rich in present things, remember God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, and he's given you everything that you now enjoy. So put your faith in him. Rest in him. Trust in him. Not in the things that you hold in your hand that can disappear in a moment. But he goes on beyond that. And he gives other instructions. He says, instruct them to do good. Instruct them to do good. How does he mean to do good? Rich in good works. We are called to be doing good works. We are not saved by good works. We are saved unto good works. That means that when Jesus came into our life, we weren't saved because we did good things. But when Jesus came into our life, we're called to do good things. And in this world and in this life, we're called to do good works by being rich in those good works. And part of that can be what we possess. When we have the riches of the world and we have possessions, God enables us to do good work, to bless other ministries, to bless other people, to support other things in the good work that will advance the kingdom of God. So he says, when you've been blessed, do good works. Use those riches for good things. But he goes on. And to be generous and ready to share. That's the other thing, to be generous. To be one who readily gives to others. Not to be able to take and to put in your coffers, to put in the can and sit on the can, but rather to open up your life and to let it be a a river of living water that blesses other people. And that God would create in us a spirit and a heart of generosity. That we're constantly looking at not the accumulation of wealth, but the sharing of our wealth. How, Lord, can you use what I have and who I am to be a blessing to others? One of the prayers of my heart is I constantly pray, Lord, help me to be generous. Help me to be generous in my spirit. Help me to be generous with my resources. Help me to be generous with my time. Because it's so easy to get caught up in what we are, what we're doing, that we find ourselves not having a generous spirit. He says, if you have the riches of this world, make sure you have a generous spirit. And when you do, listen to what happens. Here's the reward. <coughs> reward is in verse 19. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Remember, Jesus said, don't put your treasure in this world where it can be stolen, where the moth can eat it, where rust can, can damage it. But rather, put your treasures in heaven. Put your treasures in eternity. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about. If you're rich in the things of this world and God's blessed you with that, well, make sure in your life that you're investing in eternity. 
Make sure that you're storing up for yourselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future. Not talking about the future of this world. We're talking about the future of eternity. That's what future is all about, is getting to heaven, getting to eternity, and making sure that we've invested to make sure other people can hear the good news and be in eternity with us. So he says, whenever we're giving and doing good works and giving of our resources, we're putting the treasure in the right place. Listen to the last statement. So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. He said, do you know when you really enjoy life? Do you know when you really have the opportunity of knowing what life's supposed to be? It's whenever you're walking in a relationship with God such that in that relationship with God, He's able to take everything you are and anything you have and to be able to use that to advance His kingdom, to be able to use that to to bless other people, to provide resources that are necessary, and that you are that open channel for God to use you and to bring abundance of life into you because you're accomplishing that which God has called on you to do. I think it's going to be a sad reality one day whenever we get to heaven and we realize all that we had the opportunity to do, but we failed to do because we didn't join in with Christ in what He would want us to do. I don't want that to be my experience and I don't want that to be your experience. I want to have the experience of saying, Lord, everything that's mine is yours and everything I have you've given me. And you have the right to do with it whatever you choose to do with it, whenever you choose to do with it. And I want to know what life and life abundantly and life indeed is all about because I want to be in right relationship with the resources that you have blessed me with. I want to be that person who uses what you give to me in a way that honors you and brings glory to you. Well, this passage is full. It is full, and it warns us very clearly to not have a greedy heart, to not be in love with money, to not be tempted by riches, to not miss out on life, but rather to have a generous heart, a generous spirit, to use the resources that God blesses us with to be a blessing to others, and to be able to find out what life is life indeed. Child of God, I know that every one of us who are who are listening to this today, every one of us who've read this passage today, we've been blessed. All of us have been blessed. Almost every one of us have more than just the clothes on our back or the food that we'll eat today. Almost every one of us have possessions that God's blessed us with. Now, you may not have as many as others, but you have more than some. It really doesn't matter in comparison to what you have in relationship to others. What matters is what you have and what you do with it in relationship to your walk with Christ. And I pray, as I pray for myself, that God would help us not to be greedy in any way, not to hoard what we have, not to fall in love with those things of the world, but to have a generous spirit and to give and to join God in what He wants us to do. Child of God, would you you ask God to give you that generous spirit today? Would you ask God to help you to be in right relationship to your riches and your resources today? Would you submit afresh and anew all that you have to Him? That's what He would call on you and me to do. And when we do that and we resist that spirit of greed, then we're ready for revival. We're ready for God to renew our heart, renew our life. Friend, if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ 
and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you're, you're not going to understand a whole lot about what I've been talking about. You're going to know about that pursuit of righteousness and godliness and the walk of faith. And when you don't understand that, you're going to be caught up that you're going to be greedy and you're going to be wanting the things of the world. You're going to think the success of life is what you can possess and what you can hold, but that's not it. Success of life is that the Lord Jesus Christ lives in your heart, that He forgives you of your sin, and that you have the joy of the Lord in you and you have the certainty of heaven in your heart. I hope and pray that you have that today. If you do not, you can. Jesus died on the cross, paid the price for your sin that you might be saved. All he asks is that you believe that he is the Son of God. Ask him to come into your heart, into your life, to be your Lord and your Savior, and he will transform you. And once he comes into your life and becomes Lord of your life, he will change your wonder. <laughs> he will change what the desire of your heart is, and you'll find that you'll have a desire to be pleasing to God, to walk in right relationship with God with what you possess. But it first takes having that relationship with Christ. Will you not give your heart and your life to Jesus today? Can I pray with you? Can I pray with us who are believers that we would submit ourselves to guard against that sin of greed? Father, thank you for the clarity of the word. Paul is very, very clear in sharing with Timothy and sharing with us that there's a danger in the riches of this world and the love of money. But that, Lord, what we need to do is to realize that We came with nothing and we're going to end with nothing. And that we ought to measure our life by the success of eating and having clothing and a place to lay our head. And all other things are the the flowers of life that will eventually fall off. We thank you, Lord, for those resources. And we ask you to guard us against being greedy and being able, wanting to hold on to those things and letting possessions control us instead of us controlling our possessions. We ask you, whenever we're tempted by that, we'd flee from that, Lord. We'd run and we'd pursue the things of God. We want to be like the people of God you've instructed us to be in relationship to the resources we have and the riches we have to do good, to be generous, to discover life, to not be conceited, but to honor you in all that we have and to participate in your kingdom by giving generously to your work. Thank you for the truth you give to us and the life that you allow us to live in Jesus. I pray that we'd be faithful to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.